You're listening to a podcast by the Leadership Ministry Team at Texas Methodist Foundation. TMF's Leadership Ministry connects diverse, high-capacity leaders in conversations and environments that create a network of courage, learning, and innovation in order to help the church lean into its God-appointed mission. For more information, visit tmf-fdn.org. Hi, everyone. I'm Lisa Greenwood, and you are listening to the second of our six bonus episodes of Reservoirs of Resilience. Today's story comes from Ugana Anuoha. Ugana's daughter, Agnes, was diagnosed with lupus in third grade and passed away in 2019 at age 23. Ugana tells the story of Agnes's illness and death to an audience for the first time in this episode. As a hospital chaplain at Children's Medical Center, Ugana has sat with countless families as they navigate illness and grieve loss. She reflects on how going through her own loss has affected her ministry. Ugana's deep faith and reliance on scripture is profound. She embodies resilience through her life, and it comes through in this powerful recording. Let's listen to Ugana as she shares her story of resilience with us. Agnes died at 23, when she was 23 years old, but her illness actually started before she was nine. You know, I, 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 want, I, just, I just said I, I wanted to give a history that Agnes was born on January 9th of 1996. And for me, I, I guess the context would be that I moved from Nigeria and West Africa to Dallas, Texas in August 1995. So a year before then, I was five months pregnant when we came. Agnes was born healthy. There was nothing wrong with her when she was born. And so, but in December of 2004, she became ill. And we thought it was just a virus. It's really good. When I wrote that, I was like, virus? And so it began to kind of make meaning with what DCA has been. And so eventually she was diagnosed with lupus and that was a disease, an autoimmune disease and Agnes was a third grader when that happened. And that December, December 2004, we spent from December 2004 to February 2005 in the hospital at Children's where I work. And most of those days were in the intensive care unit. She had to be intubated for her. She was very sick for her to be able to breathe. So, and Agnes fought this disease for pretty much from 2004 she passed away in 2019. So for 15 years of her life, she was ill and sick and everything and did from elementary school, went to middle school, went to high school, went to college. And the thing that is very interesting about this disease is that there's no cure for lupus. And for her age and her population, it was really rare. It's really hard to find Most people that we've heard or talked to, they were older adults or people, not kids. And so most of her treatment was was experimental. The very first conversation we had with the specialist, the rheumatologist, and she said, there's no cure and we're just going to treat symptoms. So basically there was no plan. All we had to do was whenever she got sick and we went to the hospital, They treated whatever was going on without any hope of it getting better. If she got better, we came home. But if she didn't, we just stayed as long. And, you know, 
you can talk about the dynamics. I would tell people 2000, December 2004, I had a four-year-old daughter and a three-month-old son with an eight-year-old who has now been diagnosed with something that doesn't have a cure that we didn't know what to do with. And I was a full-time chaplain in this place where my child was being treated. And so there were colleagues, people that I had worked with. And so I think that the living with Agnes's illness helped me to begin to talk about my faith in a way that was not outside, but something that was really personal in a way. Because I've had to sit with people whose kids have died suddenly, chronic illness, and who also probably didn't have faith or people who had faith, who prayed, and maybe God didn't answer them the way God didn't answer them. So now it, wasn't, it was no longer a professional journey. It became really personal because I was saying the same prayers that I've said for people but I was wanting it for my own child. So like one of the things about Agnes's story is that she was so deep and so clear. She would always say, but mom, why can't God really hear our prayers? And she just said it in a, a really childlike, the way that children did ask me before, but it was my child. And so I had to dig deep into my faith to begin to find a God who or have talked to people, I've thought to people that God is good and constant and faithful, even when things do not go the way that you had imaged it or when, even when your prayers were not answered. So I had to find this God who I knew was kind, loving, almighty, but still was with people when things were not. And the image I like to always ask, tell people that really helped me was the image of the Good Shepherd. And, you know, and, and that psalm was powerful. The reason why it was powerful was that it wasn't only said that God is my shepherd, I shall not want. I could do not, I could care less about that. But when he got closer to do I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord was with me. The companionship of God was what was very powerful for us in our journey. Not only for Agnes, but for me. I found God to be real and truthful and honest and a companion and a good God in the midst of that pain. First, the pain was the pain of having to see my daughter struggle with something that there was no answer. With something that if I lived in Nigeria, I would have to go and borrow money and raise money to bring Agnes to the United States, so, so out of Nigeria to get care. But I lived in the United States. So when people asked me in Nigeria, but why, why are they not doing anything? They didn't understand that there was no research. There was nothing that could be done. So I had to then interpret and say, there's really nothing that can be done about this thing. And people didn't understand it. So... But God was able to, and I, and I felt, you know, the, the, the hardest thing was knowing this and Agnes living with this disease and having to almost explain to people what we were going through 
At some point, I got really tired of doing it and I got really angry with God about it. But the more that I dealt with my anger and I learned to have God really comfort me and encourage me by looking into scripture and finding images of God, like how I jokingly told you about Job's story. Job's story is beautiful for me because how Agnes was found was really, really hard. Agnes died in her dorm room in college and she was found. And the way she was found, I had prayed with my children, my other two children who were now older. The one that was three months old was now 15 or 16 years old when Agnes died. The one that was four years old was 19 when Agnes died. So the way that Agnes was found, because three months or so before Agnes died, she talked about, she decided to get what you call an advanced directive, which was a conversation of will where she didn't want to be resuscitated. She didn't want anything to be done. And we had that conversation. So we knew that she, at the point, she was living with a disease that she didn't want to live with the effects of what it was doing to her body anymore. And she didn't want to continue to do any more treatment because she was now living with so much more the side effects of the medication that she had taken on her life and she was struggling with that. So we, we made peace with that. I always told her when she brought the advanced directive and we talked about it, I told her, I said, my prayer is that God will not help, that I wouldn't have to do anything about this which meant, and she knew what I was talking about, which meant that if ever it got to that point that I didn't want to resuscitate her, I didn't want to have the choice. So I didn't. So God really did answer that prayer. But then after she died, I had to deal with the, the facts, the grief that she was gone. She was no longer. So now it became really, really important that that shepherd who I knew that was walking with me through those dark places became a comforter, became a guide, became someone who was a refuge and a strength. That's how I saw God. But it wasn't really only by it, but my church community and the people, the colleague, the friends, other ministers in the, in the United Methodist clergy group, other people who I've known, they became those expressions of love and God and guidance and comfort in ways that nothing else. It was as if the way that I, I describe it, that God prepared a way and prepared people for such a time like this. There was something that was going to happen, which I had no clue about, but God raised people who were going to be. Like, I remember when... I got the call from the police about, and they, they were trying to explain to me. And I, because I've been a chaplain for a long time, when they gave me a medical whatever number, I told them that this number doesn't go with a live person. And they said, how do you know? I said, I'm a chaplain. I call the medical examiner all the time. So they had to now take, because they were trying to talk to me about it. And I said, where did you find her? Was there any trauma or something? And they're like, why are you asking this question? I said, this number that you asked me to write down does not go with a live person. When you give this number, 
the person is already dead. So was she driving? And so I asked all that question, but it was as if even professionally, my work as a chaplain was able to prepare me for the thing that I had to go through personally without me knowing. But the more that I served God by being present, by being whoever I was at children's, uh, I now had the opportunity to use that to encourage and comfort myself when it was her time. And one of the things that has happened is that not only did I find God faithful and good and kind, but I also want to tell people I found God to be mysterious, that God really didn't take orders and things from me. God did things that God wanted to do with my life and with my family's life without asking us for permission. But at the end of the day, it really was good that God walked in God's way and mysterious. At the time that it was happening, we didn't understand it. It was painful. It was hard. But I think that looking at it, this is 2021, having gone through the very first days and months, I was numb. There was, I didn't have a clue how I was going to leave the next day or understand what was going to happen. But I thank God for the support of the friends and the community and the God and the Holy Spirit that really cradled me and my family and helped to hold us when we didn't know what to do, when we didn't know what step or what the first thing to do. But I think that also scripture was really, really important for me because I kept going back to that image, to that whole text passage of Psalm 23 to see how God was my good shepherd, how in the darkest of all times, when I stood by Agnes's bed in the ICU and asked God, where are you? Why are you not hearing our prayers? Why are you not healing Agnes the way that I wanted to? I felt his presence in a way that was powerful, that said, I love you and I'm right here. And it, it was just, you know, it is, is, it's powerful to think about how we also talked a little bit before we started about self-care. So after the death and burial and everything about Agnes, it was really hard to go back to children's. I had been off for a month or six weeks. And so one of the things I did was I said, I had spent more than 15 years of my pastoral care ministry helping people to, to find hope, to find joy, to live after what I've just been through. So I got a tablet and I wrote out the things that I said was the good practices that I encourage people to do. And the things that I always wrote out, I, I did a table. I said, this was the things, prayer, eating well, exercising, sleeping, just like basic. Then I wrote smoking, drinking, lack of sleep, you know, all the things that were not good stuff that people, if you did, 
you wouldn't be able to survive what had just happened to you. Then I made a decision. I said, God, if you help me just little by little to do the things on this side of the board that was, was going to help me be able to show joy, to be able to say there is hope in you, to be able to say, to be able to embody the things that I have said, that your presence is good, then I was going to do it little by little and it was going to be the way that I lived. And it's amazing, I can really say, because I have checked, I used to do it, it was one day at a time, then it was one week, it was a month, then I've had a year, and I'm on, we're going to the second year. I can report that the, the days I paid attention to spend time in silence, to read scripture, to pray, to eat well, to sleep, to take care of myself, whether it was yoga or running or walking, that I was able to show joy, to express hope, to still feel the pain and the grief that I was going with, but to be able to show that God is good and that God's goodness does not take away suffering, but in the midst of suffering, that God's power of love is actually more evident. Some of the days have not been good. I can't say I did 100%. The days that I didn't do well and did the other things on the other side, whether I didn't sleep or was really upset about how things didn't turn out the way, I was depressed. You People around me could say, what is wrong with you? Or my children would say, mom, I think you just need to go and run. Can you go to White Rock Lake? Or can you go outside and get some? Like, it was obvious that something was wrong. So, without doing any research or finding out, I, I, I believe that. So, I went back this afternoon to say, if I was to capture my little conversation about... I wrote, I said I could title it How One Can Choose Joy, Faith, Peace, Hope, Comfort in the Midst of Great Pain. And the great pain that I talk about is due to, I guess, illness, chronic illness of my first daughter and ultimately her death at the age of 23. But how can you, as a person of faith, choose to say, that God is good, that God's mercies endure it forever, that God, really, basically, that you could say, Jesus loves me, this I know. And so I could say that because the Holy Spirit, the God, the Father, the God, the Son, was present in the person of the Good Shepherd who provided everything that I needed even before I knew that I needed it. He, God showed up in the person of human being who stood, who sat by me and said, I know you don't want to eat, but can you just drink water? And I drank water. And people who took care of my three months old and my four months old so that I could be by Agnes's bed when she was sick. 
and people who were there to say, oh, this is what we do with funeral home. This is what we do. Not that I didn't know, but I couldn't think about those particular things. But they were there as real visible symbol of God's grace and mercy. So for me, I think that if there are three things that people have to make sure they surround themselves with is that being a person of faith is good, but being connected to a community that believes the scripture and that is willing to live it out. And also being in an honest relationship with, with your God and the people that you know, so that you are very honest about your suffering, but you're also really honest and excited about the grace and the power of God to be in the midst because the presence of God is an abiding presence. It's not a presence that's only with us when there's joy and happiness. The presence of God is the presence of God that is with us in all times. One of the psalm that I like to also remember is when he says, God is our refuge and our strength, a present help at all times. <laughs>